And so lots of people took the train to get to, to France. We took a train, but we also took our car on the train. It's called the Euro Tunnel. It's pretty clever. Um, and we, we traveled with a few friends who, um, who also have kids. And we've got one, one uh, family who have got two kids already. And what I'm learning is that with two kids, comes about five times more the stuff. I don't, the maths doesn't add up, but that's just how it works. Um, and they have a roof box, which meant that my friend Josh got to go with the big boys. He got to go into the front end of the train where all of the special cars and the vans go. And uh, he was really excited about this. He went first. He, he left us in the terminal, went and got through passport control, got into his special queue. And then... And then we went through passport control a little bit later. We got into our queue, and uh, all of a sudden, we uh, got into our queue, we got ushered forward, and I looked to my right and saw a roof box. And Josh, who had just spent the last 20 minutes gloating about the fact that he was going to get on in front of us, was now behind us. And not only behind us, but people who joined the queue after him were getting onto the train. He got to the point where the train we were on left and Josh was just still in England. We were on our way to France. And um, at this point, Josh was one of those people when he's waiting who gets irate. He had no patience. He had no patience at all. I haven't actually checked with him if he's okay with me telling you this story, but you don't know Josh, so it's okay. And um, he, he got irate to the point that his wife took a photo of him just because she found it so funny that he was so annoyed. Um, he got onto the next train. He was about half an hour behind us. It was fine. But maybe for you, when you're waiting, you also get really annoyed. Or maybe you're much more patient than my friend Josh. I don't know about you, but so often I find myself in a time where things aren't quite happening at the, the time frame that I expect them to or I was hoping for. It feels like God has sometimes left us there standing by ourselves. But today, I want to encourage us that he is with us. In the moments where it's all going our way and in the moments where it feels like nothing is going our way. He isn't far off. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. Today, we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at how we wait and that God is with us in our waiting. And all throughout the Bible, we see people who have to wait. There's Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat. Um, he was put in prison and uh, he had to wait for the dreams that he had for, as a boy to come through. And in the prison, he just kept doing what was right. He kept caring. He kept loving. And then Elijah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, as he, as he waited to hear from the Lord once, he cried out to God, expecting to hear him in the wind and in the fire. But God came in the still, small whisper. And I wonder if as we wait, sometimes what we need to do is, is get close enough that we can hear that still, small whisper. And not only do we see the people of Israel in the, the characters that we know of Joseph and Elijah and many others, it's also in the entire narrative of the Old Testament. There are people who have to wait the people of Israel, they're taken into exile. Um, they're taken from their land, taken from where they are supposed to be, from the land that they were promised. 
and then prophets come and share what God is saying to them. They, they tell them what to do. They tell them what to fix in their lives and what to make right. And there's loads of these prophets. You can take a look throughout the, the later part of the Old Testament. But the final one of these prophets is a prophet called Malachi. And Malachi comes, shares what he thinks the Lord is saying, shares what the Lord has said to him for the people of Israel. And then there's silence. The people of Israel have heard the voice of God through prophets over and over and over again. Yet, this chosen people heard nothing for 400 years after Malachi spoke. They're, they're waiting for the Messiah, the one that they knew was coming, the one that Isaiah declared about. That verse that you'll know as the Christmas verse. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called a wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That's who they're waiting for. But during this 400 years of silence, things haven't got better. In their waiting, things didn't get better. The Romans have now come. You remember the Romans. They've come and they've taken over Jerusalem. Again, not what the Israelites were expecting from the promised land, not what they were expecting from God. The people of Israel in this moment are longing and hoping for their redemption moment, looking for the moment where they get to, to come back fighting and knowing that everything is right. They're longing and hoping for this Messiah to come. And then the silence is broken. I'm using a little bit of poetic license here, so go with me. But the silence is broken by John in his account of uh, Jesus' life. There's four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, in John's account, it starts by saying this. It should come on the screen, verses one to five. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus comes into the story of Israel. He interrupts their waiting and he brings clarity. He interrupts the despair of waiting for the Messiah to come and brings hope. Where there was once silence, there's now a voice, there is action. He comes down from his lofty throne in heaven to earth. And in the message part of this passage reads, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And it's not like he just sent a drone or kind of um, threw a paper airplane and hoped that we all understood that he was coming and he was going to be a part of our lives. He came as a person. He put on flesh and blood and chose to come and be with us. He stepped down into the dirt to stand by our side. So if you're a note-taking person, which is not many of you because I can see all of your eyes, um, this, this uh, talk would have a snappy title called The Book Doesn't End With Malachi. Um, and if anybody, and yes, I am trying to be cool because that is a chance of the rapper lyric. Um, thanks, Sam. Um, 
And so the book doesn't end with Malachi. What we could read, we could read the Old Testament and we could get to Malachi and be like, okay, cool, that was a pretty good, pretty good go. Thanks, God, you, you've done some pretty great stuff there. Noah's Ark, David killed Goliath, all good stuff, but it doesn't end there. It come, Jesus interrupts the story. He comes into the story and he brings hope in the waiting. He brings life where there was none. Um, a few years ago, I, uh, I was studying theology at university and um, I, I got to the end of my degree um, and I then needed to find a job because student finance, they like to finish that when you finish university. And, um, and so I went through the process of, of having no job, which some of you will recognize as not a very fun part of life. Um, and I, and I went through the waiting of um, filling out job applications and going to interviews and hearing nothing back and just being like, well, okay, I'm going to have to trust you in this one, God. And then a few months went past and, and still, still nothing. And then in those places, that place of waiting, I had to learn to trust that God was still faithful, that the book didn't end with Malachi. And I don't know maybe what you're waiting for this evening, whether you're stuck in a job you hate, where maybe all of your life you've told, been told that you're, you're made for really amazing things and you're maybe just doing a job that pays the bills. I don't know whether you're maybe stuck in a relationship or a cycle you know just isn't that healthy. Or maybe for you, it's actually not that dramatic. Maybe it's just you'd like it, things to look a bit different. You long for something more. My encouragement today is for us to lean in close, is to listen for that still small voice that guides and directs. But you might be sitting thinking, but why does waiting need to be such a big part of following Jesus? If Jesus came in after Malachi and is part of the Gospels and is here now, why do we need to, why do we need to wait now? Well, I wonder whether everything significant that God does in us and in the world comes with long stretches of waiting. The, the promises that God makes don't stay in the sky or in the stars. They get grounded on earth. But we can still ask questions like, how can this possibly be it? And we're all too familiar with the waiting this world has for us. Maybe another round of resumes to send out, another round of chemo, another underwhelming first date, another grey summer day, another shift in a job you didn't want in the first place. How can this be it? How can redemption hurt this much? How can something this mundane and boring be part of the Christian life? And I wonder if, if you know what it's like to ask that question. Maybe you're asking a version of that question at the moment. In uh, Psalm 131, verse 2, which should also come on the screen, it says, But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Um, and when um, <coughs> our daughter, Olive, was, uh, was nursing, she, she was controlled by her needs, whether that was that she was hungry or tired or dirty or bloated. Every, every need she had was urgent and had to be met right then. There was no like, oh, I'll get to that in a moment. It was meet that need right then. 
because of the way she communicated that was by crying and kicking and screaming until me or B worked out what it was that needed fixing and we fixed the problem. And then she could relax. But she could only relax for a short period of time because the only kind of peace that a nursing baby knows is the fleeting kind of peace of a need being met, of her, her weight being ended. But the psalm goes on to talk of a weaned child, a child that's now eating solid food. And um, that weaned child for Olive meant that she knew me and be beyond her most urgent needs, beyond what she needed right in front of her. She learned that deeper peace of being in me and B's presence. In other words, the, the weaned child has discovered that peace is not the end of the wait. It's the presence of their parent or their carer in the waiting. And so Jesus loves to share stories from his creation. He loves a parable. Hopefully you maybe have heard of a parable. Parables are the things that Jesus, stories Jesus tells to help us understand the things of God. And he loves to show us the way that God weaves his story and his truths into creation. And he talks about farmers a lot. Read the gospels, you'll see it. And it's a miserable farmer who plants a seed and then goes out day after day to see if it's growing. Did, did, did it take? Is the soil breaking? Is it going to make it? Can I eat what is there? Will it nourish and satisfy? Will it really make good on the promise? When, we plant a, a, when you plant a potato seed, I've never planted one, but when you plant a potato seed, you want it to grow to the point where then you're able to eat the potato as part of your Sunday roast. And the farmer has to get used to the rhythm that every harvest requires waiting. Between planting and reaping, there are long cold days where the real work is happening underground, invisible to me and to you. And so every time a, a farmer plants a seed, it's an act of radical trust. And every winter between planting and reaping, that farmer must know peace in the midst of darkness. Waiting is where we discover peace or we get eaten alive by anxiety. Peace is not ultimately found when our waiting is resolved because peace is not at the end of waiting. Because the thing we're waiting for will just turn into the next thing that we're waiting for. There's a deeper kind of peace, a variety of peace that cannot be taken by the world because it wasn't given by the world. And that is presence. Peace is God's presence in the midst of pain, not the absence of pain. It's God's presence here with me in the waiting, not the end of the wait. And there's an American author called Sue Monk Kidd, and uh, she wanted to learn the art of contemplative prayer. And uh, she go, went to some monks, good people to ask and went to ask them how she grows in contemplative prayer and uh, she says this I just can't get used to the idea of doing nothing and the monk that she'd asked broke into a wonderful grin well there's the problem right there young lady you've brought into the cultural myth that when you're waiting you're doing nothing 
Then he took his hands and placed them on my shoulders, peered straight into my eyes and said, I hope you'll hear what I'm trying to tell you. I hope you'll hear it all the way down to your toes. When you're waiting, you're not doing nothing. You're doing the most important something there is. You're allowing your soul to grow up. If you can't be still and wait, you can't become what God created you to be. And so in our waiting, we have to trust. That's our part in all of this peace business. We give God trust and in return, he gives us peace. Waiting is the soil the seed grows in. And so we, as I come to close, we don't come to a God today who is distant and unaware of our suffering and pain. He, he knew the needs of our needs to eat and to work, to the despair of loss. He knew the rules of humanity and he didn't see himself as too high or lofty to play by them. Like the message says, he, he put on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Desmond Tutu, the Jewish, uh, a, a, a told a story about a Jewish Auschwitz uh, prisoner um, cleaning a toilet. And as he, as he scrubbed, a Nazi uh, soldier stood over him and mocked him and said, where is your God now? And the, the prisoner, without even looking up, responded by saying, he's right here with me in the muck. We don't come to a God who offers escape from the realities of this world, but a God who plunged headfirst into the worst of it to create a new world right within it. And in our waiting, we can, we can come and we can trust in God. We don't come and trust in a God that we can completely understand. We come and trust in a God who we can perfectly trust. So let's choose to trust in him. Um, I wonder if in, um, in our moments of despair, where maybe we feel like we want to move away from God, in our moments of despair where we're waiting and we feel like, actually, I don't know whether I can do this anymore, God. I wonder if God in those moments is asking us to cry out to him once again, to bring the pain of our waiting, to bring the pain of what we, we know, the promises that he's spoken over us, and to bring it to him again in despair. He's willing, he's ready for us. I think, I wonder if he's, he's asking us tonight to be bold enough to ask him where he is. I, this isn't, I don't remember this being part of the plan. I imagine that during the 400 years of silence, the Israelites said, I don't remember this being part of the plan. The promise you spoke, the, the job, the dreams, the things that I know you said over my life. Where are you, God? How did I end up here? What, what is happening here? Why am I here again, God? And in that moment, where in our despair, in our, in our brokenness, he scoops us up in his arms, like he did with Peter in, when, as he walked on the water. I think sometimes I see God as far off and then I come and I'm like, where are you, God? And then he like, has to run from the other side of the universe and pick me up. But actually what he's doing is he's standing close enough. The story of, the, of Peter walking on water shows us 
again and again that he stands close enough to us that he just reaches out a hand and lifts Peter out of the water. And that's what he does with us. When we bring the brokenness of our despair and we say, where are you, God? What is happening here? And he comes. He scoops us up in his arms and he walks along the road with us. He joins us in the muck. And that's the God we come to in our waiting. I don't know what you're waiting for today. I don't know whether you're waiting for anything. Maybe you're waiting for this to be over. Um, Not sure that was meant to be the biggest laugh, but um, (laughs) that's the God we come to in our waiting, is the God who is okay with being told, where are you? What is happening? And so let's be okay with doing that. Bring him our mess, and he joins us in the muck. He is faithful He is faithful. He is faithful. And we're going to come to the table now and Johnny is going to lead us into communion. But as we come to the table, bring him the things you're waiting for, the questions you have, your longings, and let him scoop you up in his arms, join you in the muck. Amen.